Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of Broly Love in the District. After a little bit of a break due to finals not exactly being friendly to us, we are back after a little bit of a break and Jacob is going to go ahead and tell you guys what we're going to get into. Yeah, so we got a lot of football to catch on. We catch up on. We have two weeks of um, football to catch up on and we have another week to analyze. Um, going on into hockey, both teams still continue to struggle, um, the but there is some positive. The Flyers are starting to get some players back and the Caps have their first three-game win streak of the season. And finally, going on into baseball, free agency is in its full swing, and we're going to talk about a big signing for the Phillies. So wow. let's get right into it. Little pun there at the uh, at the end there. Free agency in full swing was that intended? Yes, it was. All right. Well, uh, let's start out going back two weeks. We'll start out with the Falcons game, and you guys pull out a close one. I I thought the Falcons had a chance to beat you guys, and I thought they would. And I don't entirely blame that loss on Marcus Mariota at the end there. The ball got tipped. It was a close game. Uh, that was a that was just a good defensive play. Yeah, and I it didn't wasn't Kendall Fuller diving for that ball like it wasn't exactly an easy play to make. Yeah, it was tipped, and then he dove and was able to uh, catch it. So pre pretty good play on the defense overall, and I think the defense really won us that game. And um, I'm going to be saying the same thing for the Giants game. The offense, offensive play calling, I think, more is a hindrance to this team because we've shown we can run the ball, but it just seems like there's play calls down the stretch that are really questionable. Um, for example... This week, uh, the game against the Giants and the Falcons game, we were like running quarterback draws on thirds and ten, and then for some reason on like third and two, third and one, when we were having success in the run game, we decided to go with some ill-advised um, play-action passes that just didn't really work in theory. So I just think it's down to I think it's down to Scott Turner. I understand Heineke isn't the best quarterback, but I think he can do enough under the right system, and I just don't think we have that. We can run the ball, yes, but um, I think from what I heard that the reason why we started to run the ball is because Ron Rivera went to Scott Turner and said, hey, we need to run the ball, even though Turner was reluctant. But the Falcons game, it was a great win. Um, our defense really bailed us out. Um, Jack Del Rio has really stepped the defense up recently and i think he's saved his job i think uh and i mean this was always the thing this has always been the thing since taylor heineke was in what got the starting position after carson once got hurt and i'm going to continue to say it all the way through the playoffs and unfortunately i don't think it's going to bode well for you in the playoffs but you can't hide a quarterback. It's not not anymore. In the old NFL, when you could just hand the ball off and the bulk of the game was running the ball, you could get away with it. But you can't hide a quarterback in this day and age. They are such an intricate part of the game, and they handle the ball so much with the passing and everything. He only had 138 yards in that game against the Falcons. This past week against the Giants, which we'll talk about more upcoming, but... He had a pretty good game in that one, but in this one, he only had 138 passing yards. He had two touchdowns, but one of those 
like the flare pass to Brian Robinson, he did nothing. It was a flare pass. Brian Robinson trucked through someone on the sideline and yeah. got the touchdown. So that was mo- mostly Brian Robinson, but Taylor Heineke, you can't hide him much. And that's what they're trying to do. And you see it with how much they run the ball, but that's not going to work for you, especially when it comes to the playoffs. Cause when you get the teams in the playoffs with the coaches who are experienced that's going to hurt them and you're not going to be able to hide your quarterback anymore. So it is going to be interesting how you're because I think Scott Turner, yes, you're trying to run the ball more and you're saying Scott Turner's a hindrance, but at the same time, Scott Turner probably knows in the back of his head, like we can't keep on hiding Heineke like we want to. So we need to try to get him to pass the ball more. And maybe that's the thinking. Maybe that's, it's just him being doing whatever, but the, they are in the right thinking where they need to try to get him to throw the ball more so that they can not be so predictable. That was something that the Eagles caught on to in that week 10 game. Despite them losing in the second half, I want to say they might have only scored one touchdown in the second half. I we got a lot of field goals. Yeah, you got a lot of field goals, but it was what made it so easy for the Eagles to stop them in the second half is in halftime, it's all adjustments. They came out and they knew first and second down was a run play. And if it was anything under third and five, it was also a run play. If it was over third and five, then it was a pass play. And they could play it according to that. So you can't really hide your quarterback anymore. And that's going to become an issue for the commanders coming up in the future. But it was a good win, and your defense is still playing out of their mind. You understand about that hiding thing? I don't... (laughs) Like he's not, he's not like a lights out quarterback. But with the playoffs, defense and running still can take you pretty far in the playoffs. I still think that the main factor is obviously defense. And if you're able to really dominate the time of the possession, it doesn't really. Which matter. I believe it, you guys are first in the league now. Yes, we have the in terms of dominating possession. That's how we do, and it could possibly, possibly lead us to win, but. I still think a lot of this is down to the play calling of Scott Turner. It's some of the the decisions on the third downs is just very questionable. And you can't tell me that Taylor Heineke can't throw a lot of screens and slant passes. We rarely throw slants, especially to Terry McLaurin. I mean, you simply cannot, you will not be able to explain to me or try and convince me that Taylor Heineke cannot do that understand that he doesn't have the best arm in some of his decisions and accuracy really shows that okay he's ultimately a backup but i think he's good enough considering how like the deep the quality of players we have around him i think that's why the, this offense has been hindered it for me it's down to scott turner I understand that Heinke isn't the best but he's shown that when we get things right we can win and when what we're winning it's like i said last year he just needs to do enough and that i mean like that's really the only way you guys can hope for success uh is there anything else you have from that falcons game um from a falcons game no did you see uh falcons benched marcus mariota desmond ritter's going in i did i think it's it's about time i was i was kind of surprised how late in the season it happened uh, but moving on to the game, the Eagles game that got flexed to Sunday night that week. And I don't think we need to spend much time on this. That was an absolute domination. Eagles ran for 350 yards on them. Jalen Hurts had a hundred over 150 rushing yards. 
and Miles Sanders had 144 with two touchdowns. Eagles just absolutely dominated the Packers' weak run game, which is something they were looking to do. So they played a really good game. Now, if uh, Aaron Rodgers, he got hurt, obviously, halfway through the game. He went out. Jordan Love came in. When Jordan Love came in, I got a little nervous. Jordan Love was slinging. So he, he made me a little bit nervous, but our defense did get the stop. But there came another injury in Gardner Johnson. He rupt, not ruptured, but he uh, he had a, he got a lacerated kidney. So he's out for the foreseeable future. They don't know a timeline on him yet. They didn't put him on IR because they don't know a timeline for him. So they're hoping he can be back before the playoffs, but they're not going to try to rush him back because they want him to be back for the playoffs. Uh, but like... Zach Ertz, he played on a lacerated kidney. He missed one week, but they said the cut in his was so small that it didn't really mean anything, and the bigger issue was the broken rib that he had. But Zach Ertz played with one, so I'm sure when it comes to the playoffs, Gardner Johnson will want to be involved. But Eagles absolutely run all over the Packers. And I got to say, though, Christian Watson, he looks good. He had another touchdown in that Eagles game. He had another touchdown this past week, so he's up to, I believe, seven touchdowns. He didn't score a touchdown until week 10, I believe, and he leads rookies in touchdowns this season. So he's starting to come out of the gates and play, but Eagles dominate a hurt Packers team, run the ball all over the place, and then that's really all I have for that game, and I'm just going to take it on to the Titans game because... It's the tale of two different offenses in there, and that's what makes this offense so dangerous is they ran the ball all over the Packers, and then the next week they knew they couldn't do that against the Titans, so they passed the ball for over 400 yards against the Titans. So they they really put on an offensive outing the past couple weeks. They dominate the Titans 35-10, to and although we didn't have our episode last week, we still did do our weekly predictions, and I said in our weekly predictions that I thought the Eagles were going to lose this game. I believe that every time your team is playing good, sometimes you got to lose one, especially to another good team. And I do believe the Titans are a good team. They had the best record in the NFL last season. And Derrick Henry himself is a monster. And I thought we were going to have a little bit trouble with him, but they held him to 11 carries for 30 yards. They made their offense one-dimensional. And when you make the Titans one-dimensional, they're not going to be able to compete with you. So... Eagles put on a show against the Titans, and A.J. Brown had a day. Eight receptions, 119 yards, two touchdowns. And not saying these two are correlated, but right after that game, the Eagles GM was fired, or the Titans GM was fired. I don't think they will ever trade or fire Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman is... uh, Uh, The way things are looking... It's not seeming like they would for a while. Yeah, he is. He is just... He is a man of trades. I got to tell you what he, I don't know how he does what he does, but he is a very I, good businessman. I don't either. I'm still shocked at that Gardner Johnson trade. You, that you fleeced him. I think we fleeced like also for the Titans for AJ Brown. I think we traded a first and a third. That's not terrible. I AJ Brown is his, a premier receiver in the league. Yeah, considering his output this season and how well he's been your offense, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, with with him, that makes it to the point that Devontae Smith isn't covered so much in himself. We have the potential to have 2,000-yard receivers this year. AJ Brown's going to break 1,000 yards, barring 
any any injury or anything. Don't want him to get one of those. Knock on wood. But uh, he, I believe he's already at 950 yards, somewhere around there. He's going to break 1,000. Devontae Smith is also up there in receiving. So we're going to have 2,000-yard receivers. If Dallas Goddard hadn't gotten hurt, it might have been three. But, uh, yeah, this offense is just clicking on all cylinders, especially after those two rough weeks. Uh, and I really like the way they're playing right now. If they keep on playing the way they're playing, I don't think there is any NFC team that can stop them. On paper, no. I the the only team that I believed might have been able to stop them was San Fran, but I don't think without Jimmy G. Don't get me wrong, I, Jimmy G. is not a great quarterback. He's another quarterback where the they try to hide him. But with that being said, Jimmy G. has playoff experience. Brock Purdy does not, and they said with his broken foot, he might be able to get back if they were to make the Super Bowl. But then. With Brock Purdy, I don't think they're doing that. If like if they somehow e- even did make the Super Bowl, you wouldn't start Jimmy G over Purdy because you'd assume that he, Purdy played good enough to make it to the Super Bowl in the first place. That yeah, that's that's fair. That's a fair assessment. But I don't think Brock Purdy in the playoffs is going to be ready for that. I mean, you get thrown in mid-season uh, to your your third-string quarterback. He was Mister Irrelevant. I, I just don't think I think that's too big of a stage for him. So right now they do, they do have a, an experienced team around him and experienced coaching staff. So that may help them a little bit because they have more experience in terms of coaching, in terms of um, players than the Eagles do. So maybe I think that could be a factor. But when it comes down to it, if we're just looking on paper, I think now it's hard to say that. The Niners are a good match. They're a solid matchup for the Eagles, considering what they lost. Also, I was correct. AJ Brown has 950 yards on the dot. Uh, but yeah, right now I really don't see any team that can just go out and beat the Eagles. The Eagles are playing out of their minds right now, and the way that they bolstered up that defense, I am very confident the Eagles have a pretty easy walk to the NFC chip, at least, and maybe even the Super Bowl. On paper, I don't think like it's going to be very difficult for anyone to beat you, but in practice, you never know with the playoffs. And, and considering you're in an inexperienced team, like pretty much from top to bottom, um, there's still a little remnants from the Super Bowl team. Um, but your coaching staff, a lot of those guys are gone. So I think that could be interesting to see. Uh, but... That's all I really have for the Titans game. Just two absolute back-to-back dominating games for the Eagles. And going into this third game with uh against the Giants with that momentum, I really like what they're going into. But talking about the Giants. Oh, go ahead. I'll let you You've shown like the variety in your offense, and I think that's the thing that makes you the most dangerous is you've shown that you can have a game where you have 300 team rushing yards and then you showed a game where you had 400 team passing yards so that's going to be a nightmare for any team to scheme against i think the like way to beat you guys is kind of what washington did is if you want to beat them dominate time of possession and take advantage of every opportunity you have um in the red zone i know we didn't do that but you're not going to get the amount of turnovers, I think, we got in the Commanders game. Uh, 
Yeah, and talking about the Giants, we'll go ahead and talk about your tie. The, which, I mean, that I don't know. I feel like division games are the least expected to have a tie. Like, just because they're so physical and so aggressive against each other, I, I feel like they're one of the least expected things for a tie, but you guys end up with a tie, and yes, obviously you'd rather a win, but a tie kind of helps you anyway. Yeah, I'm just, like, it helps, and I would prefer it over a loss, considering it was pretty close to us losing, because Graham Gano had a chance to win the game with a few seconds left with a 58-yard field goal, I think it was, but he ultimately yeah. missed, but... If we're looking at this, I think this is a game the Commanders easily could have won. Um, but I think down the stretch, especially, our offense really faltered in very bad spots. If we look at our uh, stats, we were 3 for 14 on on third downs, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we didn't score more than 20 points. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's bad. We allowed five sacks, which that's never good. The offensive line has stepped up their play this season, but they're still far from being what I would consider a very good um, group. So I think that's part of the problem, even though we do have success with running, but it we still got things to improve on. But if we're looking at the time possession numbers, especially this, like we had 41 minutes of time of possession to the Giants 28. Jeez. Looking at that stat, that it's a game we should have won. Um, yeah, so this is it's definitely a game we should have won. Looking at those stats, just beside themselves, Brian Robinson had a big game, twenty-one for ninety-six, no touchdowns. McLaurin eight eight receptions for one hundred five yards. He's shown that he can be a very he's a top ten wide receiver in the league, I think, and he's and he showed why. Um, and I saw a stat where it's like he joined a small like group of wide receivers who had three straight um, 900-yard seasons to begin their career, so he joined that. But, yeah, it's ultimately a frustrating game. Um, like what happened with the Falcons game, I think it was kind of hindered by the offensive play calling and the execution because there are some plays that really killed us, especially the third downs. Yeah, and, I mean, it's – like I said, it's a division game. If I'm going to just fast forward real quick because Eagles play the Giants this week. And if I'm being honest, I think you guys get the better of them in the following game because division games are the most physical. Eagles yeah. and Giants is arguably the biggest rival for those two teams. Not in the NFL, but I mean, like the Eagles and Giants have go at it between those two a lot. I would say... It's the biggest NFC East rivalry still left because it used to be Washington and Cowboys, but Washington um, has been so bad recently that it's not really a rivalry. Yeah, anymore. since like the turn of like after 2012, I think it's where we really started to see downhill. Because even in the 2000s, you still saw when Santana Moss scored two touchdowns with like five minutes left. You still saw the uh, RG3 stuff, but after that, it started to go downhill. And I, I actually talked to one of my. Uh, one of the guys I work with, he's a Cowboys fan, and I asked him who the bigger rival is for the Cowboys because I, I hear both arguments, and he said, if you look all-time, it's Washington. Yeah, but if you, just is. He goes, if you look recently, it's the Eagles because Cowboys and Eagles have been yeah. going at it for the division for the most part between those two. Yeah, the recent history, but if you go back, um, 
the Cowboys owner, uh, I believe, copyrighted uh, Hail to the Redskins. Um, if you look in the decade of the 70s, the team who beat the Tom Landry Cowboys the most was the George Allen Redskins. You go into the 80s, we had big playoff games. So yeah, it's it hurts to see that rivalry degraded down. But um, yeah, it just hurts to see that rivalry. But I think... This three-week stretch is really going to take um, a toll on the Giants. Yeah, that's, coming that's what I was getting at. Against us, and then and you're obviously playing you coming off of two back-to-back impressive offensive performances, and then they're going to be playing us when we have rest. And, yeah, so what I was just trying to get at, I, this is a – I'm not going to do too much because we'll talk about it next week, but I just wanted to say ne- I think you guys will get the better of them in – the next week because if you look at it, they played three back-to-back-to-back division games. Division games are the most physical games that you play. So if you're going three straight, that really hurts the Giants. And like I said, especially with the Eagles and the Giants being one of the bigger rivalries just between in the division, then that is always a physical game. So I think the Giants are just going to be wiped by the time they get to that. You guys are coming off rest. So I think that'll be huge for you guys in the next week, and I think that'll bode well for you. I think there's a feeling among the team that that game, the tie game, should have been a win for us, and I think we're going to see that, and we're really going to try and prove it. And it's a very important game for obviously playoff standings. Yeah, but uh, talking, just taking a glimpse at that. Let's move on to the Giants and Eagles game, which is coming up. Uh, tomorrow for us, it is Saturday night as we record. Uh, so, Eagles and Giants, obviously big division matchup. Giants, I believe, are seven and seven four and one actually because they have the bye. But Eagles eleven and one, and the Giants are hurt all over the place. They are struggling with the injuries. They have three offensive linemen out. One of their bigger tackles being one of those guys. And Saquon's questionable. Saquon's questionable with a neck. Uh, I think I heard that... I can't remember his first name. McKinney. I want to say Xavier McKinney, but that doesn't sound right. He's out. He's one of the better safeties in the game. I He is a great ball hawking safety. Number 29 for the Giants. I want to say he's out. They're missing a lot of key guys there. And this is what I talked about at the beginning of the season. The Giants are really good up until they get injuries, and then they're going to be in trouble because yeah, they, they have a good have 22. Depth. They don't have a good 53. So yeah, they, they top it talent, but their depth play is pretty bad. Yeah, so I, I think the Eagles should be able to get the best of the Giants here, uh, especially the way they shut down Derrick Henry. They have, they'll have Jordan Davis back, hopefully fully. They... Gave him a pitch count last week to try to keep him from o- overexerting that ankle. He lost 20 pounds while he was injured too, so he's way lighter on that ankle. Uh, and then you also have Nandamakin Sue and Linval Joseph still filling up the middle. They've done a really good job with the run in the past couple of weeks, and I think they should be able to stop Saquon even if he is good to go. Uh, obviously, Daniel Jones is a guy that has run all over them. But I, I'm not really he's that worried about over, the run game. He's run all, all over both of our teams, but we've seen like 
one way to beat the Giants this year is to get them playing behind and force them into a passing offense. And once that happens, they simply can't keep up. And I think you guys have the team and the depth chart to be able to do that because you can be a high-scoring offense when you need to. And once you create a lead, you can really grind out that time of possession and really force um, your opponents into tough positions. I, I was just about to say, I think this is the same type of game that the Eagles need to have uh, that like they had against the Titans. If you make Daniel Jones pass the ball, you're going to win. He is not a good passer. He's yeah. he's another guy who's been hated by the run game. Saquon Barkley is their entire offense. So if you find a way to shut down Saquon Barkley, then you're going to you be okay. It, it's going to be fine. Uh then on their defense, they have a really solid defense. I, I got to give them credit where credit is due. They have a really solid defense, but like I said, they're missing guys in their secondary. So this is another team that I think you could pass on quite easily and then maybe mix in the run as a changeup. But I think this is going to be another pass-heavy game. Is it another 400-yard passing game for Jalen Hurts? I don't think so, but he should be able to have a big day. AJ Brown should have another big day. Should be able to break a thousand in this game. It it's definitely one that they should be able to take advantage of. And while yes, it's probably going to be a close game, I think the Eagles are going to take advantage. Move on to twelve and one. <clears throat> but that's it because the Commanders have a bye week this week. You guys got a really late bye week. Yeah, it's it's. it's... It's kind of weird. How do you feel? How do you feel about that? Like just thinking about the team and how it could help them in the future with the playoffs and everything. I I kind of like it because like going into the playoffs, I think this is a decent time to get a break, and it's also I don't think it'll really kill our um, momentum too much. We'll have enough games left to be able to build that up again and to really pick that up. So I I, I like the positioning. It gives us a will be fresher than a lot of other teams, give a lot of our players chances to nurse injuries. So I like it. You also had that mini buy earlier in the season. The, Eagle, the Eagles kind of got uh, kind of got messed up in the way that their scheduling happened because they had the bye week, they played one game, and then they had the mini buy with the Thursday night the next week. So they kind of got screwed over in that sense. You guys had a break in between with your games so you're getting that mini buy earlier in the season after you played the bears and then we're getting the we had the mini buy right after our buy so we won't have you guys have a little bit of a luxury that the eagles didn't have and like you said i think it's going to bode well for them going into the playoffs where you're rested and even uh do you listen to the jason kelsey and travis kelsey podcast um i've i've heard a few episodes yes uh I was listening to that, and they were saying they really like it later into the season so that they could be prepared for the playoffs. And yeah, they said ultimately they do like having that Thursday night game and their bye week separated out so that they have that like Washington did this year. But yeah. they said they do like the, the season, the bye week a little bit later. Uh, that, though, will close up the NFL for us. We are going to move over to the NHL where – both teams still struggling, but the Flyers are starting to get a couple players back. And last time we talked, like I said, it's been a while, but Flyers were on a 10-game losing streak, and they have finally snapped that streak. They uh, they snapped it against the Islanders, and 
They've gotten a couple players back. James of Ham Reemsdyke has come back. Travis Konechny has come back. Scott Lawton has come back. Uh, Tony D'Angelo got injured for a little bit, but he's back. And I believe... Oh, Cam Atkinson is just on the cusp of being back. He is, like, questionable every night if he's going to be back. And then, obviously, Sean Couturier is still out for the foreseeable future. But... I am feeling a lot more confident. They're playing better against good teams. Still struggling to score. The Flyers are the worst scoring team in the NHL with 2.5 goals per game. Uh, but Carter Hart keeps them in so many games. It is unbelievable. He is having an unbelievable season. Even if the stats don't say it, he is just playing out of his mind right now. He has started each of his last of the last six game for the flyer six games for the Flyers. And I think that's because they've been going every other day. They haven't had a two-day break in a while, but they also haven't had any back-to-backs in a while. So I think that gives him the ability to play more games in a row. And in those games, he's playing lights out. They went 2-3 and three on a five-game homestand, lost that last home game to the Capitals, but which was ended on a 4-1, but empty nets make goals look games look so much spread out than they actually were like the final of that game really was a two to one game yeah ultimately <clears throat> but, um, i think we we need to talk about um travis konechny getting mad because um i didn't even see it i i haven't i haven't been able to see a lot of the games recently so ov um it was after we scored the first empty netter Ov, um, they pulled obviously, and Ov went in to score one, and he like went in really slow and was deliberate and shot it in, and then when he skated by Travis Konechny, he got his panties in a twist and got mad at him for some reason, and then so Ov pushed him and got him got in his face, and it started this little like kerfuffle. Scrum. Yeah, at the end of the game, so I I just think that's one of the uh, bigger things that's happened. Um, I mean, the, I think that's just the disrespect factor. I mean, I understand that, but it's like I when mean, you shoot it when you shoot at the goalie after the whistle blows. N- no, I think that that's different. But you can't get mad because <laughs> it's you pulled the goalie for the second time and you put yourself in this situation. You can't really get mad at it. Like I understand the shooting at the goalie after the uh, after the whistle. That's a completely different thing. That's a space cadet move, but. I think this this was definitely a little different than that. Had it been earlier in the game, I would say, you know, that's Travis Konechny's game, just trying to get under people's skin. But the, the game was game. already over, yeah. Yeah, there's no reason to do that. I Like I said, I didn't see it, so I can't really speak to it. But, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, though, just think, these guys have been losing and losing and losing. And I'm sure it's just getting to them, and occasionally they get fed up with it. Uh, it's positive, though, that they're fighting back because especially last year the game we went to when they got absolutely nine to two oh down. my gosh yeah we were at that game it was great we had great seats they didn't fight back like there was not a single fight and they didn't even really try and start one so That's... it's it's good that they're starting to fight back and for the city city of brotherly love who's supposed to be tough i think tortorella is starting to really change the mentality tortorella of this team. is I could just go on a, in fact, I will go on just my mini rant about Tortorella. Like he is such a good coach for this city. 
and he he just makes everyone try every single night and it, you see it and yes they're not winning but at the beginning of the season i said flyers just need to try this season get the young guys to play let them try and just get the get the young guys points and that's what they're doing he has not been disappointed at all in the team and he said that like yes we're losing he said yes they're losing a ton of games but he has never gone into a game afterwards and been like that was a terrible game i'm depressed in the way we played he says every single time that they gave effort do they have games where you know they don't look sharp and maybe they don't look like they give effort the entire 60 minutes yes but at the end of the day they're at least giving effort to a portion of it and whether they get smoked or they keep it a close game they are playing hard and that's that's what Tortorella brings to the city, and I love Tortorella as a coach here. That's all you can ask for this season. And the thing about Tortorella is there's no middle ground with him. You're either going to commit to him 100% or it's going to go horribly wrong like it did for um, um, Patrick Line and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And uh, also, I mean, the in those, in those games that they were losing, like on their skid, I think if you take five of the starting six four starting top six forwards plus a main d-man a top d-man from any team in the nhl i think they're gonna struggle too like they i don't think you understand they were having 21 and 22 year olds on their top six forward line uh so that that makes the team a little bit choppy for them but they did end up snapping the skid uh they're they're showing emotion in the games. They're not just, you know, going through the motions, which is huge. They're trying, and yes, they may be losing, but there's still effort into it. They care about the game, and that's what matters. I, I think Torts is very proud of the way that they are playing, whether they win or lose, and he's getting what he wants to in determining who's going to be on the team next season. And I think, I think what also makes players buy in just a little bit more is this year... In his first season as a head coach, he averages between 60 and 70 points, standings points, per team that he has coached in the first season. And then every time after that, he has taken their team to the playoffs and advanced at least one round the, the next year after that. So say he doesn't make the playoffs the first season, the next season he will at least make the playoffs. And then the season after that, he'll get one round further than he did last time. And then next year, one round further. If that makes sense. Like he keeps on and then building. Get fired. And then either his contract expires or whatever. Something but goes wrong. Yeah. He uh so each year he keeps on getting better and better as a coach. And I think what makes these guys buy in is the fact that he has said to them, Look, this is a this is a year for me to determine who's gonna be on this team in the future. And I think that most of these guys know with the talent they have and the way that they're playing and the coach they have they know that this is going to be a competitive team in the future and whether it's you know playoff contender stanley cup contender hopefully they know they're going to be contending and that makes them want to be a part of this team i think that for everyone to prove themselves yeah I, i think it just makes it a little bit more for players to go after if that makes sense like they know that they're going to be contending for something and they want to be involved in that so i think that's i think that's huge and cam york he just made his first NHL appearance this season. So they brought him up, and uh, he's he's really starting to try to get the young guys ready for the future. And I'm, I'm really excited, even though this season they're not going to do anything. I'm not mad about the way the season's going. They're, 
They're doing what they're yeah. doing, and I just I wanted effort, and that's what I'm getting. I think that's enough from the Flyers. Let's uh, talk about a team who isn't that far from the Flyers in the standings. Uh, like I said, three years of mediocrity from Peter Laviolette, and that's what you guys are getting. Yeah, mediocrity for our standards, but before I start talking about the negatives and how inconsistent we've been, I'm just, I'm going to talk about some positive. Both Nicholas Backstrom and Tom Wilson have skated for the first time um, in practice, so that's a promising sight. But going on into their play, it's just been more the same thing. A lot of inconsistency. We haven't really been able to get a, like solid win streaks down. Um, going all the way back to the Canucks game, we had a great game, 5-1. to one. Um, and then the next game against the Kraken, we lost two to three, and that was a comeback win against the Kraken. Very tough. We were just outplayed by the Flames. We won a tough game against the Oilers, which was great. Um, we won against the Flyers four to one, and then we won against the Kraken four to one. So that's the first three game win streak we've had this season. But it it's not going to last. I mean, we're still going to get the inconsistency because of the amount of injuries we have and it's just not going to change. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, and when any team, like I said, uh, for the flyers, when you have multiple of your top six forwards out, it's going to create problems. I mean, cause obviously the capitals have a lot of talent and veteran talent at that. So they know what they're doing. Uh, they, a lot of them have already won a cup and are still with the team. So they have the veteran talent, but like I said, the injuries hurt everyone. Yeah, it's for me. It's injuries, <laughs> and I just think that the team, the team is possibly at its end with the coaching staff. Yeah, uh, but ultimately, not great seasons for our teams. Uh, I do want to go over the standings because obviously it's been a bit. Devils still on a tear. Did you see that Jack Hughes had a six-minute shift last night? Yeah, that that is utterly ridiculous. And it's it's not like he was stuck out there. There were seven stoppages of play in the in his shift, and then before that, the shift right before that, he had a minute and a half shift. So he went seven and a half minutes of the last eight minutes of the game. The- that is insane. And also, speaking of insane performances, um, Tage Thompson yeah. went off. First off, he tied the record. He scored four goals in a single period. And then he um, and then he got another goal. I'm pretty sure he ended the night with seven points, maybe. Oh, I will double check on that. Yeah, I'm going to look that up real quick. But that is just insane tage Thompson is looking like an insane prospect that is going to be very very fun to watch and i mean dude the sabers have a lot of talent all together there yeah they got some very good young guys he he, he, he had, had six points had, yeah five goals and an assist uh but yeah standings new jersey still going off t- 21 5 and 1 with 43 points they are tied for the best team in the league right now. Uh, and then after them, they, like I said, the, the standings are just kind of flipped right now. Carolina, 
Still up top 15, 6 and 6 with 36 points. Pittsburgh 16, 8 and 4 with 36 points. New York Islanders 17, 12 and 0 with 34 points. The Rangers 14, 10 and 5, 33 points. Who I thought were going to be the best team in the division this year. Uh, Washington 13, 12 and 4 with 30 points. Philly 9, 13 and 6 with 24 points. And Columbus 9, 15 and 2 with 20 points. The Columbus is struggling a lot for a team who picked up a lot of talent. Yeah, the, I thought they're going to be significantly better this year with Johnny Hockey and Patrick Laine. Yeah, and they just haven't been able to create anything. Uh, but anything else from you in the NHL? Nope. Uh, before we go on to the MLB, I do want to mention Bomberger to you guys. It's a food truck based out of Bladen County. Two college-age kids trying to create their own business and do it right. They use all grass-fed beef, all natural products. They go all over the place in Loudoun County. They do catering. I would definitely check them out. I've had their food. Very good. Uh, but they've changed it since I've had it, so I should probably go check them out again. But they changed their recipe. I would definitely go check them out. Bomberger Food Truck. They have Instagram and Facebook where they post all their stuff and they cater. But that's Bomberger Food Truck on Instagram and Facebook if you want to check out where they're going. So go look them up. Uh, moving on into the MLB, just a couple more things to add on to the offseason before we get into the quiet parts as the free agency has gotten into the brunt of the big signings. Cody yeah. Bellinger to the Cubs, Jacob deGrom to the Rangers. Any other big Aaron names Judge. aside from... Um, Sander Bogarts left the Red Sox, went to San Diego. Aaron Judge yeah. re-signs with New York, which I'm happy for that because I'm a pseudo-Yankees Yankee fan. fan. Um, obviously, DeGrom leaving New York and then New York subsequently... Oh, yeah, they signed Verlander. Placing him with Verlander, which... Okay. I, I was I was so nervous because when I first heard Verlander went to the Mets... I was like, are you serious? Now they have Scherzer, DeGrom, and Verlander. And then nope. when I texted you, you were like, oh, yeah, and DeGrom went to the Rangers. And I was like, oh, okay, I can breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but the Mets, they re-signed Nimmo, Nimmo and Diaz. But the big signings that we're obviously going to talk about are T1 Walker signing with the Philadelphia Phillies. And, and Trey Turner. A guy named Trey Turner signing with Phillies. And he... <laughs> They let Gene Segura go. Let's hang on. I want to save Trey Turner for the end because I think we would go on a lot longer. First off, we'll talk about probably the smaller of the three, the smallest of the three. Philly signed Matt Strom. He's a bullpen guy, left-hander, yeah. uh, which they do have a lot of right-handers in their bullpen. So left-handed guy. He had a 3.5 ERA last season for Boston. A guy who I'm like, everyone's like, oh, that's not a great ERA, but Anytime I see an ERA under five for a Phillies bullpen, I get excited. You like that's pretty good. Yeah, it, it's not something that the Phillies are used to, and you never know when a guy is gonna catch gonna catch heat. Not this past season, but the season before that. <clears throat> excuse me. The Phillies were looking to trade away Zach Wheeler before the season started, and they couldn't find a deal they liked, and they kept him, and he ended second in NL Young Cy Young voting. So. Yeah. You never know when a pitcher is going to catch heat, and hopefully that happens to him this season. Uh, so they, they get a bullpen pitcher, 
And then they signed Taiwan Walker from the Mets, who last season had a very quiet 12-5 record with a 3.5 ERA as a starter, which is relatively good for a starter. Uh, so he is now added to the rotation. And with Zach Wheeler, Ranger Suarez, Aaron Nola, and Taiwan Walker, I'm liking this Phillies rotation quite a bit. It's looking, it's looking pretty good. Even if one of them doesn't really perform all that well, there's other guys to pick up the slack. So that's and that's if if worrying. you look at it, like Ranger Suarez, still I still believe he has yet to reach his full potential. He started out as a bullpen pitcher with the Phillies, and he started moving closer and closer and closer to playing to being a full starter for the Phillies, and now he is. And he still has potential to grow a bit more. He's still a very young guy. He's only yeah. 27, I believe. So he's still young for a pitcher. Uh, he still has years to develop and get his full power under him. So I don't believe he's fully done yet. And he still has around a 3 ERA. So he's still really good and still developing and still has miles to go before he reaches his maximum potential. Taiwan Walker, like I said, he had a very quiet amazing year for the Mets when you're behind Scherzer and DeGrom it's very easy for you to go under the radar and then obviously Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola both Cy Young candidates uh for the Phillies last season and I didn't I didn't see it but last season Aaron Nola was top five in quite a bit of quite a bit of categories I'm gonna see if I can find the page that had the that had the stats but Aaron Nola had a really outstanding season that I don't think many people realized how good of a season it actually was. Uh, but obviously, Zach Wheeler, really good with the team too. So going to obviously the biggest the biggest signing that I think we want to talk about and one that I know you're excited to talk about because I know how much you wanted the phillies to get him trey turner is going to the phillies 11 years 300 mil big guy after letting gene segura walk and i'm gonna miss gene segura i really do like gene segura but trey turner is quite the upgrade try me a river but okay you want to talk about losing players in the span of three or four seasons we lost harper Randone, Scherzer, and the person we kept out of all of those people is Steven Strasburg, who we gave a huge contract to. We also kept Patrick Corbin, who's, I believe we have the two worst contracts in the league with Strasburg and Corbin. Those are the two we kept. We lost the rest of them, and also we lost Soto. Yeah, so you want to cry about losing Segura? I really I'm not, don't want to hear it. I'm not crying about Segura, I, but, but I am. I am sad. You're sad about it, but uh, you probably shouldn't be because uh, guess who we signed? Jameer Candelario. Who do you know who that is? <laughs> not a clue. The only reason I know who that is is because he had an MLB The Show card I used a lot in <laughs> VR. Besides that, I'm just. Uh, real quick, Billy's, I I did Billy's Tristan. Real quick, I did find that Aaron Nola stat. He was second in innings pitched in the MLB, first in F-War, tied third in base on balls, uh, seventh in whip, 
fourth in strikeouts and tied third in complete games. So pretty, pretty good season. Yeah. He, he had a really good, he had a really good season. Uh, but yes, Trey Turner. There needs to be a document. There needs to be a documentary about the Nats a few years down the line, how like all these players just up and left. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason I'm so mad about this is because you're another genuine contender, because I think this season was like, it had elements of a Cinderella run to it. Yeah. I think this kind of moves you up a category into it seems very likely that you could possibly go back to the NLCS at the very minimum. And, I mean, you look at it, so with Trey Turner now being locked up for 11 years, both Trey Turner and Bryce Harper are locked up until they're 39 on the team. Trey Trey Turner is only 29, uh, so he's going to be locked up for a while. But right field, Bryce Harper, obviously the future. He's locked up for another eight years, I believe. Brandon Marsh is going to be our future everyday center fielder. He's with us for another seven years. And then in left field, we have Kyle Schwarber. He's going to be there for another three years. Castellanos, also an outfielder. He's there for another four years. Reese Hoskins is the only uh, base player that isn't going to be there for a while. He has one more year that left on his contract this year. And, and I think he's going, to, he's going to leave after his contract expires, I personally think. Uh, and then... Second base, Trey Turner. He's going to be playing second. Uh, he's there for 11 years. Bryson Stott, still on a rookie contract, so he'll be there for a while. He, uh, I don't know exactly how many years, but he's going to be there for a while because, like I said, he's a rookie. Then third base is Boom. Alec Bohm, another guy who's on a rookie contract, so still quite a bit of term left. Yeah. And JT, JT Realmuto is another three-year guy at least. And you have years. a few decent, like, like – um, rotational players like if when you need you can put Derek Hall in there. Yeah. So who is also another rookie. So they they have a lot of yeah, young guys for this, the future. This team's a little worrying considering the like improvements you made to your bullpen, to your starting rotation, and obviously to your lineup. I think you kind of solved my biggest problem with them is because is your lineup is no longer just a bunch of power hitters. You have guys like Marsh and Turner who are fast and very good situational hitters who can get you RBIs when needed. Get the contact. Bryson Stott is... Yeah, you got Stott and Bohm who are kind of like... Stott and Bohm are both using... Stott's... Or Bohm's not as good, but Stott is easily the best player on the field who is good at using the entire field. And I mean, that's that's not as much of an advantage as it was with the shift... With the shift now yeah, gone. Yeah, the shift's going to be gone now. But it, it is an advantage still because you never it know where is. it's going to go. But yeah. with the shift, it wasn't as – it was a bigger advantage because you couldn't shift. But uh, he's really good at using the entire field. And then they also have Alec Bohm, who in July led the MLB in batting average over 400. So he yeah. he's another good contact hitter. So they ha- now have four or five contact hitters. And then they have the power yeah. to go with it. Yeah. And for Bowman Stott, I think their kind of top end is like they'll have like 20 something to 30 something home runs, but they'll have pretty high like RBI numbers. So you have a bunch of different types of hitters on your team. Yeah. And I think that could prove to be a very rough time for opposing pitchers. And so now the biggest thing for the Phillies is 
they have to get that bullpen pitching straight. If they do, yeah, you, and I honestly think you just need one or more, like one or two more arms, because we've seen that some of your bullpen guys are really starting. Yeah, they had perform. three really strong bullpen guys last season. Yeah. Who again, all three of those guys for the most part, young guys. Uh, Sir yeah. Anthony Dominguez, Jose Alvarado, both younger guys. I can't even think of who the third one is off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, they have a couple other younger guys in their pitching rotation in the bullpen for them. So if they can get the bullpen fixed and straight, then I think they are serious contenders. And they, the NL East is probably the best division in baseball right now. I mean, the Mets, the Braves, and the Phillies all play off. I don't teams. know anymore, considering that I think the Mets are going to get worse because they lost to Grom. And I'm not sure if they'll be able to keep it up because it feels like it feels like there's going to be some like they're going to lose some of that like specialness of their team if that makes any yeah. sense. Um, the Braves they're still decent, but um, the Dansby Swanson situation is still up in the air. There's um, uh, this was a posted yesterday MLB trade rumors there's no legit negotiations negotiations between Braves and Swanson so that if that is true they're going to lose a like big portion of their team and even if they get Dansby back I I still think that the Phillies are have now moved up into the favorites of the NL East yeah and I mean it's that I I'm kind of eh on that both ways I think Philadelphia strives in the underdog seat. Obviously, last year, like we said, the World Series run was a bit of a Cinderella story. When the Eagles won the Super Bowl, they were they weren't favored. They were the number one team in the NFL that season, and they weren't favored in a single game in the playoffs. Like they they were riding the underdog bus the entire way to their Super Bowl win. I do I like Philadelphia as the underdogs, and I think it kind of it stresses them out less because if when you have expectations to you and you don't succeed, it kind of hurts you. I like the underdog mentality. Obviously, I do like a good team too. I like a good team uh, a lot, but the underdog mentality I think helps a lot too. I understand, and that I think the Nats had that. We exactly same series, with the Braves. But, yeah, but I I don't really think that that mentality is going to be the same because. The signing of Trey Turner and T1 Walker are going to put those expectations on you because you can't be the underdog forever. Yeah. For example, for a while, the Red Sox, even after they broke the curse of the Bambino and won two in the early 2000s, they were still trying to paint themselves as the underdogs, but things change. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's, you can't, there's a first time for everything. So, I mean, yeah. it's, I'm not too worried about it. Like I said, I love a good team, and I'm excited Trey Turner's on the team. But uh, I, my last parting message there is I really wish we could have gotten Gene Segura that World Series. He That was his first ever playoff run. I love Gene Segura. He did so much for the Phillies, but Trey Turner, obviously a huge upgrade. I'm going to play you a song on the world's smallest violin. And the last thing before we close out, this is, do you have anything else for the MLB? Um, I'm pretty sure the Nats signed a pitcher. Oh, so no. <laughs> uh, I, they did have the I, Rule 5 draft. Trevor Williams. Who? 
Trevor Williams. He was a mess. Okay. Oh, yeah, I think I saw that. Uh, but we, we got the second pick in the draft, though, so that's good. And they did the Rule 5 draft, but I'm not entirely sure who those players were. MLB, MLB and NHL, their drafts just confuse me. I don't even try. There's just so many people coming from so many avenues. It's yeah, the NHL so one for me is especially like messy because you've got players coming from semi-pro leagues like the KHL, but then you have college and junior leagues. Yeah, I just there's there's a lot, and like NHL and MLB, you're literally drafting children. Like these kids aren't even eighteen yet, and you're drafting them. So that's just that's just a little past my uh, little past my pay grade. Yeah, NBA, NFL, that that's more my speed. But uh, last thing that I wanted to mention before we get out of here, because we forgot to mention it earlier, and I think it's pretty big NFL news, is uh, Baker Mayfield getting signed to the Rams. Yeah, that that is very big after getting released by the Panthers. Um, he joins the Rams on 48 hours notice to study the offense, leads a last-minute drive going 98 yards without a single timeout. Yeah, I mean, that was impressive, and... You know, you know what's even crazier? How crazy just it shows how the NFL is. Imagine a Heisman winner, first overall pick, getting traded to... Or no, he got waived and then claimed by the former NFL champions after he failed with his, the his second team, got waived, got claimed by the former NFL champions... Who were three and eight? Yeah, that like is, that is just that wild. Is so, that's so crazy to think about, and we're gonna see <laughs> another Baker like uh, story arc. He's gonna have like good games against crappy teams, and then once he faces a good team, he's gonna do bad. And then there's gonna be that video of him dancing. Yeah, um, when he's on the Browns, and Meme Pages are gonna have a field day like with his awful stats. So did I? That's Baker, that's Baker. Do you think I think Sean McVay picked him up just to block the 49ers? Possibly, and I think it could do good for the Rams. They could go from like the 5th pick to maybe the 11th. Or maybe 7th. Hey, as long as the Saints keep losing, I'm happy. <laughs> Eagles Eagles could go for a deep playoff run and have a top 5 pick. Please, I That is the dream right there. You guys are insufferable as it is. Uh, okay, but uh, I'm you know I'm right. Anyway, uh, we are going to close it off there as long as you have nothing else to tack on at the end there. All right, so we're gonna close it off. It's gonna end off this week's episode. Uh, you guys can check out our weekly NFL predictions. We do those on YouTube, Brotherly Love in the District, where we also post a video version of this podcast. If you want to watch, we have our Instagram, TikTok, and email on this side of the screen and Jake, yeah there you go uh all that stuff there so if you guys want to dm us comments questions email us comments and questions to bring on here you guys can do that there and we also post big news on our instagrams and tiktoks and with that we come out with these every week so if you guys want to check us out uh on apple and spotify rate us and review us and with that that is going to end it off there so we will see you guys next week